Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Psalter reading this morning is from the book of Lamentations, the funeral songs. I'm reading chapter 3, verses 22 to, 20, to 33. Listen to the word of God. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark. It's really two stories weaved into one. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter, 
Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? His child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. A recurring theme emerges in the stories of recovering alcoholics. And it's a theme that has long flummoxed and frustrated the scientific community. Those who have found sobriety through AA more often than not profess that without a belief in God, the program for them simply would not have worked. This anecdote frustrates scientists because the efficacy of faith, of a faith in God, is a hard thing to quantify or measure. Wanting to learn more about the importance of faith in an addict's recovery, a group of scientists surveyed alcoholics regarding all kinds of religious and spiritual topics. When they were done, they sifted through all the data in the hopes of finding a correlation between belief and sobriety. Well, a clear pattern did emerge over time. Alcoholics who practiced the techniques of AA could often stay sober for years until a stressful event would occur, at which point a certain number of them started drinking again, no matter how many new routines they had embraced. On the other hand, alcoholics who believed, who believed in the presence of some higher power, were more able to make it through the stressful time with their sobriety intact. The researchers concluded it was their belief that it made all the difference. Once people learned how to believe in something, that skill, that ability spilled over into other areas of their lives until they actually started to believe that even they could change and overcome their addiction. Belief was the ingredient that made the practice of sobriety into a permanent behavior. Today we get two miracles for the price of one. A 12-year-old girl is raised from the dead, and a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years is healed. After returning from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus encounters once again a huge crowd of people. Our story today begins when out of this crowd of people, a well-respected leader of a local synagogue throws himself at Jesus' feet and begs him to come and heal his daughter who is ill. Jesus, of course, agrees to help, 
But on the way of honoring the man's oppressed, on the way to the home where the little girl lie, a woman whose body won't stop bleeding pushes her way through the crowd to get close to Jesus. She doesn't need to bother him or speak to him. She just needs to touch his cloak, for if she believes if she does, she will be made whole. And when she touches him, it happens. She is healed of her disease. As the story goes on, sensing that power has left him, Jesus stops walking and starts looking for the woman. And when he finds her, he speaks to her, telling her that it was her faith that had made her well. Sadly, this conversation takes a little bit longer than planned. And as a result, the leader's little girl is no longer sick. She has died. Upon hearing this sad news, Jesus tells the father, don't fear. Just believe. Tony Dungy was one of the most successful coaches in the NFL history. He was he is a renowned, I think he's a Hall of Fame coach now, but long before he was a household name, he was just another assistant coach hoping to be a head coach in the NFL. Well, Tony Dungy finally got his chance in 1996 when he became the head coach of the worst team in league history at the time, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At his first meeting with the new team, Dungy explained his coaching strategy clearly to his players and his assistants. He was going to simplify things, really simplify things, and refine their habits with practice over and over again until their actions, their responses on the field were automatic. Dungy didn't believe they needed a big playbook. He didn't think they had to memorize hundreds of formations. All they had to do was learn a few key moves and practice them over and over again until they became second nature. In fact, it was Dungy's strident belief in this simple system of habit formation that kept him from getting a head coaching job sooner. He was passionate about it, and few people, few people believed it could actually work. Well, his formula of simplicity and repetition worked in Tampa Bay. After only a few years, the Bucks tossed aside their loser image, but even as it became an NFL powerhouse, a troubling pattern began to emerge. During crucial, high-stress moments, everything would fall apart. For three consecutive years, from 1999 to 2001, the Bucks got absolutely destroyed in the championship game, the conference championship game. In an interview, Dungy reflected on this horrible streak. We would practice, and everything would come together, and then we'd get to the big game, and it was like the training just disappeared. Afterward, my players would say, well, it was a critical play, coach, and I went back to what I knew. Or they would say, oh, I felt like I had to step it up and give more effort. What they were really saying, he said, was they trusted our system most of the time. But when everything was on the line, when things got hard, that belief broke down. At the conclusion of the 2001 season, Dungy was fired by the Bucks, but he was not employed for very long. He was then hired by the Indianapolis Colts, where the same pattern amazingly emerged again. For four seasons, the Colts were one of the best teams in football, and for four seasons, they fell apart in the big game every year. 
In 2006, at the conclusion of yet another successful season, the Colts found themselves once again in the conference championship game, a game Dungy had lost eight times before. Not surprisingly, the first half didn't go so well. Dungy's team was playing tight, and by halftime, the New England Patriots, I can't stand the Patriots, led 21 to 3. No team in NFL history had ever overcome a deficit so big in a game, in a playoff game. Dungy's team, once again, was going to lose. Well, much to everyone's surprise, the Colts came out in the second half and started to play really well. They played with poise and a sense of calm as they scored touchdown after touchdown. And with 60 seconds left in the game, after a perfect pass from Peyton Manning, the Colts took the lead, 38-34. to Then there's Tom Brady. Ugh, Tom Brady. Like he has done so many times before, he marched his team down the field, and with 17 seconds left, Tom Brady stepped back in the pocket for a pass to a wide-open receiver downfield. But as he stepped back, something amazing happened on that field. Colts cornerback, Marlon Jackson, a nobody, held on to his belief in Dungy's system of habit formation. Instead of trying to do too much, he simply watched for the cues that he had been taught over and over again. And he reacted in the way that he'd been trained to react. And because of his unwavering belief in the system, at that critical moment, Tom Brady didn't complete the pass to win the game. Instead, a no-name cornerback was at the right place at the right time, and he intercepted the ball. The whole play had taken less than five seconds. The game was over. Dungy and the Colts had won. Two weeks later, they won the Super Bowl. They had finally come to believe. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Do not fear, he says to the father, who's lost his child. Do not fear, only believe. Faith, it seems here, is imbued with power. The power to heal and the power to raise people from the dead. It's as if faith is a muscle that would strengthen the repetition and practice gives us the ability to have hope, hope in even the most difficult and trying of times. Faith in what? The text is not exactly clear. Faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in the possibility of miracles. We don't know for certain. We don't know if the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and the father whose daughter was sick came to Jesus because they believed in him or because they had hope and they were desperate. Whatever the case, though, despite all that life had thrown their way, neither of them had lost the hope that somehow, someway, by some miracle, healing was possible even for them or for those they loved. They held on to their faith. My friend Kim was having one of those days that young parents of young children sometimes have. She'd been stuck inside her home all day with two young boys. It was hot outside, it was raining. Inside, nothing 
was going right. The baby wouldn't nap. The weather wouldn't cooperate. So Kim decided to put her boys in the bathtub and let them splash around for a while while she relaxed on the toilet. We've all been there. While the water was running, she stripped off their clothes, took off the baby's diaper, pleaded with the three-year-old to use the potty before it got in the tub, and then sat back. She secured the baby in the bath seat that kept him upright, and then reached for the faucet to turn the water off. It had gotten pretty high already. But when she reached for the faucet to turn it off, it came off the wall. It's a problem. After it came off the wall, water started coming out of the faucet. It's Murphy's Law. After a few minutes, she realized what this meant, that the water would keep rising with her babies in the tub. And she started to panic. The water level in the tub was rising so fast, and she had no way to stop it. She grabbed the plastic pitcher she used to wash the kids' hair and started bailing water from the tub into the sink as fast as she could. Back and forth, she ran in the bathroom. But she knew this wouldn't last for long. So she sprinted from the bathroom, got her cell phone, and called her husband at work. Frantically, waiting for him to answer, she started bailing water again. When Mark answered the phone, she didn't even try to hide her anguish and despair. Mark, oh my God, I don't know what to do. The tub won't turn off, and it's filling up with water. I can't bail it fast enough, and it's going to spill over, and it's going to flood the house. You have to come help me now. There was a moment of silence on the other end of the phone. Then quietly and calmly, Mark spoke. Kim, he said, you're saying the water is running into the bathtub. Yes, she shouted, and it won't turn off. No, it won't turn off. What are you, deaf? Okay, okay, Kim, just, just one more question. Did you pull out the plug? The woman who was healed of her bleeding, the father whose child was dying, the teen that overcame the habit of losing, the addict that beat her addiction, they all had faith. Now, too often when we're caught in a difficult situation, a place, a time when we can't seem to bail fast enough, when the water just keeps coming, we too can struggle at times to keep the faith. Instead of trusting in God more, trusting in life more, trusting in ourselves more, we typically try harder and harder to make things right. Instead of believing that someone or something will intervene, we grow more and more anxious and try harder and harder to manage things on our own. When we need faith the most, we often let it go. Well, here's the good news I believe that Jesus came to share in both word and deed. He came to share with us that the world we live in, contrary to popular belief, it's not a closed system. God has broken into the system and pulled the plug of possibility. Miracles, they can happen. Healing, it's real. Patterns can be broken. Addictions can be overcome. Losers can eventually win. Diseases can be eradicated. People can even rise from the dead. 
And whether or not these miracles happen to us or to those we love, believing that they can happen, having hope that they can happen, gives us the one thing I believe that may just be the greatest miracle of all, hope. Hope that with God, anything is possible. Amen.